Hail, welcome to Owen's Alchemy. Before we get started, I uh, wanted to mention a couple of things we got going on. First, uh, Johnny Larson, or uh, Yeti Slang, has made a uh, uh, drawing of, uh, of me, and we're going to make some stickers, and we're going to put a little thing together and uh, do some uh, uh, hoodies. Also, this weekend, we're having a little reunion thing, so that's going to be real interesting. Um, we'll get a lot of video from that, and a bunch of the people that came to the thing are going to show up and uh, just have another get-together and uh, have some serious conversations about an intentional community. Um, and also, I wanted to bring up that uh, because of the, the war and uh, the nonsense that's happening with that, our friends at uh, Fehu Crafts, who make absolutely awesome things like uh, Mario and I are discussing Yggdrasil, and this is a purse out of entirely out of uh, wood and leather uh, carved with Yggdrasil on the front. Um, absolutely fantastic. But uh, their they're, Etsy got shut down and everything, and they're having all kinds of issues. So. <clears throat> Anybody that can go and visit them that's looking for uh, gifts or uh, things that are made out of all-natural wood, he uh, dyes it with uh, uh, all-natural. It's called Bismarck Brown. It's an ancient uh, recipe for dyeing wood that's made out of all-natural things, and then he uses beeswax to seal it. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, definitely go check him out and support guys that are doing uh, handmade things and especially ones that are uh, he his company's actually in Poland so uh, they're having some issues over there but uh, that thanks everybody this week we have the great pleasure of welcoming Mario Garza Mario has a channel where he does a lot of different tarot things uh, called symbolic studies on YouTube so definitely go check him out and uh, Mario has been doing a lot of work on uh, Northern Symbology and Polaris Symbology and has been doing some talks on weaving spiders that have just been absolutely fan uh, fantastic. Uh, so definitely uh, please welcome Mario Garza. And Mario, feel free to let everybody know where else they can find you and anything they want to know. Yeah, sure thing. So they can find me at SymbolicStudies.com. And I've got a lot of um, social networks that I'm a part of. So you can find me um, on Instagram and Twitter and, you know, YouTube and things like that. Uh, you can find all those links at my website, symbolicstudies.com. Um, and I do a lot of like work revolving around symbolism, as the name would imply, right? Um, including creating a series of astrological posters that I'm in the midst of uh, printing right now. And what I do is I basically study each sign during the sign itself and pretty much put content out about those signs. Um, but my love of Northern symbolism and the North Star Polaris, that's starting to bubble to the surface now. I can't keep it contained anymore. And so probably over the next few months, I'm really going to go in on that stuff, which uh, honestly is one of my favorite topics to research and talk about. Well, that that's definitely where I would like to uh, uh bring the conversation i think that your work on that is absolutely fascinating and uh through my own studies uh and in conjunction with elsie king uh who you know uh we've been elsie uh, king actually had uh speculated that polaris was uh head of everything 
quite some time ago and we've for the last couple of years both of us have uh <clears throat> found all kinds of different ways that that is absolutely true um, and uh how uh, from my perspective anyways then the sun in and of itself would be what as far as biblically goes and i'm not christian so this isn't really a thing for me but biblically uh it that sun in and of itself would be lucifer and where they've now modified the entire system to where they've made venus into lucifer and that's actually the sun which comes up and for a brief time outshines polaris and then polaris and then it then it falls and polaris comes back right exactly where it's stop trying to get on the computer um tries keep trying to go back where it where it was um love her but she is such a pain <laughs> <laughs> i get it you bet um but uh so we've been on the same path so when you started speaking doing uh, talks on it and some of the information that you were putting out and some of the books you were talking about it was uh absolutely fascinating so uh very cool yeah uh elsie king as soon as i started talking about it he's one of the first guys that reached out that wanted to compare some notes you know um polaris as a study um came to my awareness probably 2014 15 something like that when a lot of people were really starting to question um you know the shape of things and mm -hmm. i was interested for a few different reasons and i kind of tabled that topic but the more research i did almost seemingly with just all of the topics i'm really fascinated with including symbolism it started coming back around time and time and time again and i started building this narrative uh or this uh even just this symbolic sort of package of what polaris means and how significant it was to certain cultures right and i was mm -hmm. like how is this not more of a popular topic you know um i would think that a lot more people would have uh, an awareness of it that's deeper um than what you typically find out there and so i just kept on digging i guess and then um things really changed for me when a friend let me borrow a book and she just happened to buy it just randomly she's a huge book nerd she actually runs a really cool shop uh where she carries lots of used books and um, things like that yeah man exactly so whenever she finds something that i'm interested in or she thinks i would be interested in she'll just grab it and literally just send it to me or let me borrow it and it was called The Night of the Gods by John O'Neill. And there's two volumes. He wrote it in the late 1800s. And one of the first things he says in the book is that, and this was an original copy, by the way, which I was just like privileged to have, yeah. right? And so it was falling apart and everything. And I was just really delicate with it. But I read it from cover to cover. And one of the first things he says is that he, um, he just wanted to apologize to the readers in advance and he said look this topic this northern symbolism um topic is so large and vast that i did the best possible job i could to organize this information the best way i possibly can but i feel as though speaking from his perspective i feel as though i could have done a better job and there's still more threads to pull because when you realize the significance of the north um and everything it entails it, it's at least for me personally i kind of feel like i'm going through a little paradigm shift in a way um it's a game changer for me symbolically and uh 
he proceeded and the rest of the book is basically about all of the symbolism that's northern symbolism from you know spears to mountains to trees uh the fleur de lis um all of these symbols that i had been studying because that's my thing he basically was saying that most of our symbolic language uh is a northern language essentially and when you start looking into it there's multiple cultures that say we come from the north and return to the north there's this idea of an mm -hmm. arctic homeland right and so right. he was saying that uh basically like the fabric of our symbolic language is wrapped around the pole and it's related to the north star the north ursa major ursa minor all of these things and so he just he schooled me with lots of new symbolic correspondences that have to do with everything northern essentially and that really just blew me wide open because there was things he talked about that i had never heard of before you know so like there's myths involving people who have like their foot cut off or like they're wearing one sandal or something and he's saying that one leggedness is a northern symbol because it's symbolic of the pivot around the north star right and so that kind of opened up this new way of thinking about symbolism too um, that i hadn't considered before and so he has another volume that i have not read that i would like to get around to but he exposed me to this kind of a uh, new northern symbolic way of looking at things this new lens to kind of see symbolism and as far as i'm concerned uh there's absolutely something to it i feel as though the more research i do uh the more validity that comes to this line of work you know absolutely absolutely and and, and I, I i couldn't uh i couldn't agree more um from our own research and lucas and i don't a uh, hundred percent agree on everything um but that's the whole thing and why lucas like you said jumped right on uh getting your input because we don't that doesn't bother us at all it's it's all about just getting the research and and uh eventually the answer will present itself one way or the other um so the like we, like i said the for me also Polaris is the whole head of everything. And again, you're aware of our whole uh, the biochemical universe that Lucas and I work on. Um, and so basically everything derives from uh, a source that's really external from the, from the system. And that's one of the things we do disagree on. Like a battery, when you charge the battery, that's basically Polaris. So that entrance point where that external power is entering. Um, and from there, everything else kind of starts breaking apart and uh, becoming different levels of energy. Uh, but then Polaris would be where just the purest of energy comes from. And then also a thing that people don't take into account and as an alchemist then obviously then there's an opposite to polaris so there's going to be you have to have for a magnet you've got to have the lodestone in order for the system to work you can't just shoot power out and have no path and further you gotta have mercury so before the rest of this system can come into play you've got to be able to have the transition of power um so that's even further than all that. And even 
that kind of thing doesn't even get talked about at all, except for uh, where you're talking about like tarot um, and some of the other systems, you see it where Mercury is like outside the system a lot of times, or the the, the figure that's the, the main character is really outside the system where like he's the zero, he's the, and also the, what is it, 24 or whatever. Um, he's the, he's neither and both. Um, so what you're talking about then is, is when this energy comes in and starts solidifying and taking on material form, it had to, then it split into more polarities because that's the way everything has to work. So then the sun and the moon would just be derivative of that. And then even in that system, Polaris, which would be like Muspelheim, like when I look at what you like talking about northern symbolism, where you look at like the northern creation story, you had Muspelheim and then you had Niflheim. And Muspelheim's going to be pure, you know, energy, the fire side of energy. And Niflheim is the ice side or the structure side of things, the more material side of things. And uh, uh, <clears throat> where these two meet together, that's where the nine realms all kind of split off and it's just different levels. Some of them are more fiery fire end and some of them are more ice end and we are Midgard right dead in the middle. But either way, what we're saying then is, is that there's an opposite side to match that. So that's not even taken into account anywhere. Right. That's fascinating. Um, I love your take on things and how we're coming at it from different angles a little bit. Uh, but I love yeah. your, your practical sort of hands-on like physical sort of interpretation of some of this stuff with energy and everything. So that's amazing. Um, regarding Mercury, you know, one of the things that that book, once again, it's called the night of the gods by John O'Neill. Um, he introduced the concept Definitely that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can find reprints for sure. Um, he introduced the concept that, there are gods that we associate with the sun now. And so they're considered solar deities. And mm -hmm. he uses a couple of examples, but he says that some of these solar deities um, to the ancients were actually polar deities. And that there has been this, whether it's orchestrated or it's organic, you know, I, I can't say, but there were gods that were associated with the pole um, that are no longer associated with the pole. It's just something that people don't really think about or discuss too much anymore. Um, and so basically he says as much, and I got the hunch before he even said it because he was building up to it, but that Mercury is a really good example of a polar deity. And so he always has the uh, caduceus, right? With the snakes wrapping around it. And he's a psychopomp. Mm -hmm. And if you look in like the magician card, from the Thoth deck, Aleister Crowley's deck, you know, there's a pole right behind him, right? And so this pole is symbolic of uh, Yggdrasil, the trunk of Yggdrasil, um, from my understanding, and that this is how you travel between realms, is you go up and down this pole. And so Mercury is an example uh, of someone that is a polar deity, and there's all this phallus, phallic symbolism that he's associated with as well. And so to me, that plays a part into all of this, because when you think of the pole, it essentially is the phallus, um, you know. So Mercury, Hermes, Thoth, I think these characters have a lot to do with polar symbolism that's 
um, not as understood as perhaps it once was. Right. Well, we're, we're and they aren't the pole in and of themselves, but they're the path between the, the between the two polar sides, and and that that's uh, Mercury setting the the pathway, and that's when you're looking at it, you've got the positive and the negative, and that power can only travel where the mercurial fluid, electrolytic fluid, is present. So anywhere else, that power can't flow. Um, so it's, it's literally creating the path, um, with that. And then you see a lot of times where, uh, a lot of translations then translate, uh, Yeshua or Jesus into the path, Odin into the path, Mercury into the path or the way. Um, and that's because you have to go through that path because that's where that mercurial fluid is, is the only place where the transition can happen. Um, yeah, so, right. No, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. It, it's the, um, the point or it's uh yeah the bridge the gateway whatever you want to say yeah uh the road rainbow bridge yeah. or whatever yeah um to further your point that you were talking about in a, a really prime example i think then of what you're talking about is greek cosmology where you can see this changeover that happens where uh they uh speak of apollo as a sun god but then if you study further, they also speak of Helios as a sun god. And if you take and understand that they've made everything into that one thing, and then realizing that Helios then more likely would have been Polaris, and before Polaris came down and energetically split in again, and now we have Apollo, which is the sun, rather than Polaris, because that's just a split of the energy or like in the Northern tradition where now uh, Muspelheim was the land of fire, but specifically the sun was put in place uh, and the sun being uh, uh, soul was put into place later on after the mm. rest of the system was put there. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, so, uh, that chapter, by the way, that uh, John O'Neill wrote was called Polar versus Solar Worship. And so nice. to me, it's very interesting how now the sun, uh, dude, I, I love all of God's creations, if you will, you know. Yeah. And so I have a reverence for the sun, the moon, the stars, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it is, it, it is interesting, especially in a lot of like New Age communities and stuff, how much prominence the sun gets, right? Uh, in terms of reverence, right? And so he planted the seed in my mind that there was at some point some sort of flip, this polar solar flip. And what I've been saying, it just makes me wonder, you know, um, we're told that we live in a solar system, but I actually wonder if it's more accurate to say that we live in a polar system in a way. 100% agree. 100% agree. And, and what also, without even seeing this book, brought me very much to it is is like i said as a, a, a heathen an odinist the sun is not odin it's not loki it's not tor it's not a it's not a jotun it's it's none of these things the the sun was not one of the primary beings you look at uh even greek the sun isn't poseidon the sun isn't zeus the sun isn't hades um it's a character that's very kind of off to the side. Yeah, he rides around, 
But other than that, it's not like he's a primary character in any of the stories, really. Um, and over and over again, as I started looking at the stories, I started noticing that the son, while in the stories, was never a primary character. It wasn't even in the top three. <clears throat> Interesting, right? Okay. That's really good to know, too. I love that. And makes a lot of sense to me for a few different reasons. Um, I'm glad you brought up the point of the bridge, by the way, because this is another aspect of uh, my polar research, I suppose, is that um, there have been a number of groups who have used Polaris as an ascension point, essentially, and that they believe that through various astral type workings, magical workings, meditative workings, that um, you can ascend to the north and um, do various works and then you can return. And so uh, if someone looks into Ascension material, you'll start seeing veiled references to the North Star and Polaris. And a lot of times um, there's a septenary reference. Uh, the number seven seems to be a pretty significant thing. And to me, this reminds mm -hmm. me of the seven stars of Ursa Major and Ursa Minor. So for people who don't know, um, Ursa Minor is really close to Polaris. And the tip of the handle is Polaris. And then further out, there's Ursa Major. And uh, they both have seven stars. And we know them today as the Big Dipper and Little Dipper. Um, so Ursa Major means the Great Bear. Ursa Minor is the Little Bear, right? And so this number seven is completely tied into this whole framework of the northern sky from what I'm finding out. And I'm even inclined to think that the number seven itself, literally the shape of the seven, is a um, is a reference to Ursa Major. And so uh, some of this Ascension material, you go through seven steps or seven stages um, in order to ascend to the north. And there's Eastern uh, groups that believed this. There's um, some stuff in uh, the Abrahamic religions that basically pretty much um, fall right in line with this. And there's also like some esoteric occult groups that make reference to this too. So there's this idea that it is literally a bridge and um, some people equate it to the uh, stairway to heaven as well, that the mm -hmm. stairway to heaven exists and it's the center uh, potentially of the cosmic egg. It's the trunk of Yggdrasil. It's the middle of, um, you know, the toroidal field, the great toroidal field, and it exists at the North. And so when we die, uh, there's been a material that I've read that says that essentially you do literally you go to the north. And I think that there are certain groups that are aware of this. I think if you look in certain um, Masonic tracing boards, they kind of allude to this. I've seen some um, Masonic lodges where they have a gigantic blazing north star on the top of their ceiling and they acknowledge it as the north star with a ladder going to it. You know, so this is the this stairway to heaven concept. I'm finding that there's a lot with that having to do with the North, which I find just really, really fascinating. Well, I, I really especially like what you just said with the seven. Um, not so much in the sevens that you see today, but I'm older. And when I was older, that seven was always made with a second line. Uh, people would do just the standard seven, but then slightly down, they'd make that second line, which, we, which is... Uh, would look much more symbolically like what we're talking about. That's right. And that's exactly. Very, yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, 
Yeah, that's and that's really how I cool. tend to draw it too. And so that's why when you see the swastika, you know, uh, mm -hmm. I'm inclined to believe that the swastika is a northern symbol. It's the churning of heaven. It's the stars rotating around Polaris. And so Odin, when you Odin see wing. Odin's wing, Wayne, W A N. Wayne. Oh, gotcha. Okay, right. Yeah, it's Odin's yeah, yeah, wagon, yeah. and it's Definitely. hitched to Polaris. Exactly. You're right, man. Yeah, there's all this wagon symbolism. So you think of the churning of a wheel, right? Polaris being the hub of a wheel that's churning. Um, yeah, it's really amazing, man. Uh, Ursa Major and Minor, they've had so many different associations over the years. And every single one that I come across, it just it's this new wrinkle that you can kind of pull at. And it reveals new information, you know, that's fascinating. Um, so this wagon, this wane, you know, it goes around Polaris, right? And so if you track it from year over the seasons, over the four seasons, it's going to be at the in the four cardinal directions, right? So at one point it's going to be like this, downward, etc. And uh, this makes the four arms of, of the swastika, essentially, which are basically sevens connected to each other, you know? Yes, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, it's very interesting, uh, especially in your study, when you look at it from uh, – so when you do a lot of study into uh, northern things, you start realizing that, A, you know, there's the entire conspiracy uh, around the Holocaust and everything that uh, that was about. But a lot of people don't put the further thought into it that because of all that, all northern symbology and our very sacred symbology is now uh, illegal in a lot of countries, like not uh illegal in the terms that like are uh, like the liberals talk about where oh you can't even do this blah 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 no it is actually illegal if you display a swastika in some countries and this was odin's wane this was uh, uh symbolism based around polaris and the way some things work uh you also have uh, othala that's uh illegal in some places so willow um the iron cross, which is the solar cross, which is entirely different um, than everything else. So people don't need to understand that there's multiple systems in play. And those were all understood. Uh, Lucas is working on a really interesting project where he's overlaying a number of systems and it's really coming out fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I respect all of his work, and um, you're totally right. You know, I think there's a strategic campaign to tarnish and smear these northern symbols because they are that powerful, because they encode so much information. The swastika is like, honestly, it's one of the most beautiful holistic symbols there is, you know, and so it makes perfect sense that uh, the system, whatever that consists of, um, would need to make sure that, you know, people cannot use it. Exactly. Exactly. They're all about pulling our power and and they do it in every single way. And that symbolism is real simple, uh, easy to understand symbolism. And then also it it directs your ideas to Polaris rather than the sun. And it's very interesting because we've been taken over by an Abrahamic order. And it really, the again, the Bible reads fairly simply with it where. Uh, you know, God would be Polaris and Polaris is always the same all the time. 
and all the the what they you know from the gnostic perspective the the fixed stars are uh, the angels and they all dance in perfect order and all around polaris all the time and then the stars that aren't fixed uh those are the ones that are your fallen angels well the sun is also not one of those fixed stars um so and it changes its time sometimes it's it you see it uh so uh, however many hours a day and then uh, during a different season you see it entirely different so that that's not fixed that's one of your wandering stars uh and hiding polaris so it's it's very interesting then that supposedly even according to their works we're supposed to have moved into a luciferian time which i'm not in that whole paradigm and really i find it irritating a lot of times when people go on about luciferian where everything's lucifer it's like uh that bobby from uh water boy's mom it's the devil like <laughs> hey everything's the devil um but uh very interesting then that the sun would be lucifer in that system and people have now switched to this solar worship yep yep you're totally right that makes sense um and you brought something up that reminds me of one of the things that polaris has always been tied to it is this god sort of concept um or this uh, originator sort of concept, I suppose, but it, it doesn't set. You see it all the time. And so the sun goes away every single night, right? And so there's all these older myths about the sun dying. You know, the moon goes away in the morning, you know? And so it's this, they're constantly uh, dying and resurrecting. But Polaris, on the other hand, it's always been there, you know? Yes. And I was looking into it and 90% um, of Earth's population can see polaris um which i think is really interesting including all of the countries that have mythologies that go back you know a long long time so india china things like that you know and so just think about that 90 percent of the earth's population can see the north star and it's always been there and so there's a lot of groups that do they associate it with god the godhead the throne of god um things of that sort and there's even this new sort of like current having to do with uh, the Lovecraftian gods um, and that they associate them with the North as well. And these gods are the ancient ones or the old ones. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they're so ancient uh, because they've, they've always been there. They're, they're, they've always had a place in the sky. They never go away, you know? And so to me, that's another thing that I've looked into that is really interesting. I'm not sure if you caught that weaving spiders episode. Uh, where we kind of got into that. And then I know I did a thing with Chance where we got into that too, but that's a whole other yeah, side thread. I your interview with Chance. Yeah, I caught that. Okay. Yeah, that's a whole other side thread uh, that I just find really, really intriguing is that there are people post-Crowley, post-Lovecraft that have like merged the systems and that there's this um, Polaris Northern sort of uh, correspondence that they make with the Lovecraftian beings. And they're also trying to tap into this bridge that I've referred to, you know, that exists at the North. And so um, mm -hmm. that's something that I wasn't anticipating or expecting. So I, I had to look into it for my own curiosity to see what's going on there. That's fascinating. So, so what, even though they're trying to somewhat replace it and create their own system, 
they still recognize that the mechanics of the system, the way they worked, still have to work the same. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So what they're really doing is this: they're just reviving older understandings regarding the North, and they're putting their mm -hmm. own modern pantheon. Um, you know, they're associating the their new pantheon with it. And this seems to be the thing too: is that you know, even the church, as an example, they associate the North Star with Mary. And so Mary, um, a lot of people believe means of the sea. And so um, they sometimes call her Mary of the sea, Stella Maris, which that. is a reference, yeah, to the North Star. And so uh, the North Star was the preeminent main star for sea navigation. So if you're yeah, talking about a star absolutely. of the sea, it's the North Star. You know what I mean? And so no matter they, what, it's always in the same spot. You, how do you beat that? <laughs> you can't. Yeah, exactly. And so even the church, they've appropriated and, and taken a lot of the northern symbolism and they've attributed it to Mary. That's something that I barely came across over the last like four months or so. But it's all there um, if you know what the symbolism actually represents, you know. That's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. Now, it, it, the Lovecraftian, uh, I'm not a, I'm not real big on Lovecraft. Are his uh, gods ocean-type gods, sea-type gods? Like, like the uh, main ones. most of those beings look like water-type beings when you look at them. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, the, the main god that people typically think of when they think of Lovecraft is Cthulhu. And he mm -hmm. is an oceanic god that he he's lying dormant and that he's gonna come back at some point that he's uh not dead but dreaming and so in a lot of ways didn't godzilla come from the ocean too yeah yeah it kind of it kind of yeah, reminds me of godzilla a little bit you know there's a lot of overlap with that but yes he he does reside in the ocean cthulhu and this is just absolutely fascinating i'm i'm really enjoying this um so yeah likewise Excellent. Um, so the thought that I'm having and what's really interesting, because we're talking about older gods, so it wouldn't be Midgard or anything in between. Um, you're talking about ancient elder beings. So this is outside of this current system. Um, and when you look at the way the, the northern cause, the northern creation story works, Muspelheim comes from the south. Uh, Muspelheim's to the south and Niflheim is to the north. Uh, so this is absolutely fascinating because then the dark waters would be the thing that proceeds next from Niflheim um, because that's where the ice has started to unthaw and melt. Um, so, and just about every creation I've ever read, it's waters and waters meeting. They talk mm. about dark waters meeting other waters. Um, even in the northern uh, creation myth, there's the 12 rivers uh, that are streaming out of uh, Muspelheim. And then they that's what meets with Niflheim. Uh, and obviously that's water all in between steam, you know, different levels of water. Uh, you look at Hermetics, it's the, the dark waters meet the light waters. Uh, and 
then when it gets calmed, that's where life and creation and actual life starts happening. Cause before that it's too much. Uh, so above us then could very easily be fluid. Sure. Oh yeah. 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 I I'm not opposed to that idea at all. I think that makes a lot of sense for a bunch of different reasons for sure. So I find that fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're talking about outside the system, that seems like that would be fluid. And it seems like a lot of these people are trying to point to that, that these elder gods that live external from the firmament, um, then they would be more of an ocean type liquid breathing type of a being. Right. Right. And yeah, there's man. Um, the oceanic thing with symbolism is really interesting. So as I mentioned earlier, I follow each sign during the sign itself and I put out content mm -hmm. based on that. Right. And so the last three signs of the Zodiac are like oceanic in nature. And so um, right now we're in Pisces, which is the fish. Before that, there's Aquarius, the water bearer. It's an air sign. And then before that, there's Capricorn, which is an earth sign, but it's the sea goat. And so this part of the Zodiac is uh, the celestial ocean, I guess you could say. And some people associate it with the underworld as well. And there's a lot of stuff having to do with the underworld and with water. You know, um, I'm seeing a lot of older myths where like, some cultures first devil or their primitive devil actually came from the ocean, which kind of gets back into like the Cthulhu thing and even Godzilla and things sure. like that. Right. And there's these older um, Eastern myths um, having to do with these water creatures. Sometimes it's like an alligator. Um, sometimes it's like a hippo sort of thing that comes out of the rivers and what have you. And it reminds me of these fish gods that some cultures have that bestowed uh, information on humanity, um, like Oannes, um, right? And um, there's this idea of seven sages coming from the ocean as well, these fish gods, right? And then in India, you have the seven rishis that came from the north. They say that. They say that the, the sages in India that came down, gave humanity information and things of that sort came from the north and that there were seven of them. You know, and so to me, this just ties right into everything that we're talking about, essentially, Ursa Major Absolutely. and the North Star and, and all that kind of stuff, you know. So this is really a thing where once you tap into um, this symbolism, you're going to see it all over the place in, in places that you didn't even expect to see it. Um, but you'll realize that it's just kind of been updated and refined and kind of like tailored um, to different sensibilities. You know, it seems like to me since perhaps forever. And sometimes it, you know, it gets swept under the rug and people don't realize it and they, they never hear about it their whole entire lives. Um, but mm. there's actually like this kind of like undercurrent sort of thing that exists there. Like over the last like two or three years, I've come across a number of books that talk about a lot of this stuff, like pretty openly, you know, that I didn't even realize were out there. Um, so if, if people like this information, um, you know, there is material out there that you can read. And, oh, absolutely. And a number of correspondences. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's fascinating, and I'd definitely like to uh, check those out. I'll be ordering those books that you were speaking about um, earlier, uh, because this is absolutely fascinating. And it also, 
brings to mind, uh, like I said, when you look at the Greek, uh, where the problem lays in is that they basically call Helios and Apollo the same thing. And, and one's got to assume that's just basically a mistranslation. Um, they say the same thing about the Bible, that there used to be uh, uh, different words uh, for different uh, beings in different parts, and they just changed everything to Satan um, and yeah. just started throwing that on there. And so if you take that to a number of different places where they're like, yeah, this this these three things basically mean the same thing where the translation is just done really poorly. And actually, even as far as like uh, we're doing the poetic edda, uh, Rachel Munoz and I are doing the poetic edda together and we're reading different versions and you can easily see where the story is entirely different depending on the version that you're reading, uh, how you can take the story entirely different. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, one of the things just kind of related to all of this that I've enjoyed lately, and I have not read the book yet, and I'm just barely dipping my toes into it, uh, but the box saga material, mm. you know, um, 100%, man. Um, the, the thing for me that really gets me going are the references to the North and, yeah. uh, there are different concepts about the North and how I, my understanding is that, um, Helsinki you know, there's people who I saw a documentary and this guy's in a building and he was like, according to the box saga right here in this building is uh, polar north, essentially. And he pointed out where it's at and the cardinal directions that split off from there. It, it, and everything. Was. it right? was. Okay. Yeah. They, right. The earth supposedly shifted. And but that was during the uh, uh, he calls it the tropical time. And then he. uh starts going on about what different tropical fruits you could eat during a tropical time. It's, uh -huh. it's, it's kind of funny, but that's uh, how he expresses it. Uh, you know, like pat pineapple, banana, mango, you know, everybody in the sun was supposedly a 24 hour sun. And then the earth tilted. And at that point, uh, Helsinki was no longer the center of the earth or the, the cent, the, the center point. And then also fascinating, and this also ties to, again, Northern traditions and their ideas, um, hell, the actual hell, so like Asgard, and where that was, was inside the earth. That wasn't where we're looking up, where you would naturally assume that this is the ascended gods or whatever, the higher gods, and so you should be looking up. But there's, it's down and Muspelheim comes from the south, and Asgard is a more etheric, fiery uh, world. So, and according to them, you went down into Helsinki to get to Asgard, um, which is very, very interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so uh, I think I'm going to comb through that material to learn what I can about northern symbolism. Because from mm -hmm. what little I've seen, there were things that um, resonated and that uh, I think are worth chewing on, you know. Um, so it's one of those things where when I was watching it, I was just like, okay, yeah, this this is interesting. This makes sense. Um, and the reverence to the North, I think, is really healthy for a culture 
to understand. And I think that that's been something that has been kind of um, conditioned out of us or, or something. Again, whether it was intentional, orchestrated, organic, I think a lot of cultures, when you look at the symbolism, there's uh, there's a northern aspect to it that has been lost. So even uh, the Aztec sunstone, I'm sure you've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, right in the middle of that mandala wheel, you know, it could be the wheel of a wagon or something symbolically yeah. is a face. And it's like, this is the face of God. And that central point, the axis point, that is the north. That is that is Polaris, you know. So to me, it's it's very much related to all of the symbolism as well. Um, and so that's something I want to dig into a little bit more and see if other people have made that correspondence or correlation because I'm just kind of seeing it everywhere, just kind of like that book. This guy's like, you know, everything is a northern symbol. And to me, it makes sense if that's where we come from and we're turned to, mm-hmm. you know, that it would just be an emanation or an aspect of that, I suppose. Even our bodies, right? So I think our spine is symbolic of the pole as well you know within our own little self-contained unit you know basically and that's something that i just kind of want to say too um because i can go on about these correspondences and interesting things about the north and polaris and everything but um for me personally there's a psychological aspect that kind of comes with this understanding and it has to do with the self and it has to do with sovereignty and it has to do with introspection and it has to do with uh, understanding who you are and accepting who you are and embodying your own divinity, whatever that might mean to you. And I think that the more you pay attention to things like the sun and, and promote it to be this end all be all sort of thing, that is like very much outside of yourself. It's this external thing. Um, but I think Polaris, there's something to me that corresponds to my my inner self Mm -hmm. basically you know and and who i am you know i think that there's this correspondence where as you acknowledge the north you're kind of doing your inner work in in a way as well at least that's that's kind of how i tend to look at it very nice well i i definitely look forward to you uh investigating the box saga that's uh that's quickly going to be uh, disappearing and any real solid information on it's going to be gone. And oh, really? Too long. Yeah. Uh, Eeyore Bach died a few years ago. Um, and then uh, his primary student, uh, Jim Chesner died last year. Uh, yeah. So that's a uh, very, very limited. Um, and it's one of the problems with oral traditions is if it's not kept properly and prospering, uh, it can just disappear and you end up losing a lot of that information. But then on the same token, when you write information down, uh, you lose the heart of the information and you end up in situations like we are now where uh, we're looking at this and seeing that they've made this switchover and this switchover that was done uh, between Polaris and the Sun was easily done with books um, because it's fairly easy then at some point to make those, you know, the books, your barn wall at some point. Uh, We all, none of us can read that original language. Nobody speaks these dead languages. So we have to rely on translations and translations from somebody that's never 
heard or talked to somebody that actually knows how to read that language. Um, so we end up losing a whole lot. Uh, and on top of, we know what lawyers do. As soon as you write things down, <laughs> they'll twist and turn and take the heart right out of anything. That's what, uh, that, that's what happens when you write words down. Uh, so each system has its, you know, pluses and minuses, but with that one, because it was so heavily oral, uh, now that one's basically going to be dead here shortly. Uh, I think there's one other student of your box that's carrying it on still, uh, Michael something. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, that's a shame. It really is. It really is. Um, I, I think there's some real interesting, valid information, including um, it seems like now part of the one part of the things that they have a, people have a real hard time with. And part of the things where I think he did the most twisting is during the sexual rituals. But there was, I thought, something of uh, each of the captains. uh does some real nasty things and gives it to the main guy, the Bach, the goat, because he's the only one that's allowed to then deal with the queen um, and procreate. And so those seven feed that one, and then the one deals with the, the queen. Okay, I see. Well, uh, thanks for that info, man. I mean, I, I knew what happened to your Bach. Um, but it just reminds me that I should probably pick up some of that material, some of that material sooner than later, <laughs> you know, before yeah, exactly. you can't it anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to get better. And in fact, uh, one of the only uh, interviews I've ever seen that goes through the more heavily into some of the things that he said that's reproductive. It was a three and a half hour podcast on something called like paranormal hood or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think because of, what was being said that that show is gone and he pulled it. So basically it, and most of your podcasts are not going to let that, you know, it, it got pretty nasty and hard to listen to and they aren't going to let that go on. But the thing is, is if you don't, you're missing while I think that there was twisting done in that, the I've got to hear the whole thing before I can pull them nuggets out of it. You know what I mean? So to take it away entirely, that doesn't that doesn't work at all. And then we missed it, even the nuggets that were in there. And I truly believe there was some real, real interesting nuggets in the in the box saga. Oh yeah, no but, doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. Um so yeah, I mean, one of the things that I when I was watching the box saga documentary that I saw. Um, regarding the North and regarding the true uh, point of the North. Um, it reminded me that there's cultures that when they create a sacred space, essentially they're kind of declaring it a Northern space as well. And so mm -hmm. um, like when you look at like um, kind of ritual magic, a lot of times, you know, you refer to the four carnal directions, right? Yeah. And sometimes I think that's what maybe partly what you're doing is that you're kind of, um invoking or evoking this northern aspect to the ritual you're kind of creating the sacred space because that is the north is where the axis point actually is you know and mm -hmm. so even in freemasonry too like some of these lodges and stuff 
Uh, my understanding is that when they're actually creating the design of the lodge and they're doing um, some, of their, some of their preparation work for various workings, that what they're trying to do is they're trying to declare that that space is the center of the universe, you know? And so I think that this might be something that's seen all over the place. And it might harken back, though, to this original sacred space that maybe was the center of everything. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like they're uh, recalling that aspect or they're trying to evoke that aspect or something like that. I'm not sure if that brings up anything for you, but that's something that I've kind of noticed this four directional sort of thing. And when you're acknowledging the four directions, you know, are you even just symbolically, metaphorically of embodying um what it might be like to be at the north or that or your own personal um your true north do you know what i mean mm -hmm. so it's very interesting so you're saying the floor is the center of the universe the checkerboard floor that they typically build um i, I think it's the main lodge yeah saying okay so that that is fascinating and then from the checkerboard floor uh, if you look at all kinds of different uh, pictures and things like that that they've produced, that the Masons have produced over the years, uh, you, you got the uh, Joaquin, Joaquin and Boaz in the background. Um, and then you've got a ladder that's sitting somewhat diagonally um, and going into a star, which also... Uh, a lot of times there is a sun and moon in the picture. That's so right. the the ladder's distinctly definitely going into Polaris uh, with that. Uh, now, this again is just absolutely fascinating because it just brings levels and levels, you know, microverse and macroverse because all of this, uh, half of us, half of you would go to Polaris when you look at the end of the story. Um, Cause you go back to the creation story, like the material side is, is uh, your ice side, you know, where you're getting your material from. Um, so just absolutely fascinating. So when you split that's that uh, dualism would still apply until you get into the actual all where the original all mother or Gananga gap and the entirety of the all father, which is the etheric side and the material side. Cause the all mother, uh, while she gives life to the things inside the all father, that's still the material side. I mean, even the things that we consider more immaterial, like energy are still very material. It, it still has weight. Um, I know a lot of people like to argue that, but, you know, uh, you can take a battery and a charged battery weighs a lot more than a dead battery, quite a bit more. Uh, and it has an entirely different density. Like you can take a, a charged trip, uh, C battery and drop it sideways on a cement floor and it won't bounce at all. It just dunk drops dead and a deplete one that'll bounce back up uh, an inch or two. Just boink, bounce right back up. Uh, it's an easy way to check if your batteries have charge or not. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, for back, back before the batteries themselves had little buttons on them to just <laughs> push and tell you whether it was charged or not.
right, right. and everybody had a Folgers can full of batteries because you don't want to not use that like last tiny bit inside the battery you know and might get useful in a remote situation or something <laughs> totally totally so this is reminding me too of some of your work um regarding the battery and um the positive and the negative and everything else and even what you said earlier about mercury um you know i i keep on getting this thing about mercury being like very much related to ether and and almost being uh, mm -hmm. a metaphor for ether or something to that effect you know because when i think of ether too i think of the thing between everything else it's this liminal sort of thing so yep. it's the thing between yep. the poles right the positive and the negative right so is my understanding is the same as yours that way a hundred percent brother hundred percent it's it's that that's the true representation because then as far as uh in earth that's mercury and part of why that has that more feminine aspect to it is because that's mimicking the all mother the all mother's what brought the niflheim and the muspelheim together well inside here inside this realm mercury is what's doing that in the material world mercury is what's creating that transition so absolutely um agree with that and again it it has that more feminine aspect because it's literally mimicking the all mother which is as mysterious as it gets the all mother gave us life and it's also it's the creator and the destroyer but it's something we can't really know because we have to be material we can't be mm. immaterial we don't even understand that right 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 okay that makes sense um the other thing too i wanted to pick your brain about because since you mentioned it i've been thinking about it and it, it blew my mind it was awesome um during one of the weaving spiders episodes we were talking about polaris and we we're talking about metals i believe and you made the correspondence that polaris might relate to platinum right absolutely which how is, long have you been thinking about that for just kind of curious like I, your I, thought I, process with that I've been working on that for a while because uh, Lucas and I have been really breaking down and I, I don't talk about this really on air that much yet because we haven't completely uh, uh, worked it out. And we've been trying to work out what, what's going on with the different uh, metals in the sky. And so when you look, there's an order of stability. And that order of stability is represented in our our soul in our solar system in the alignment in the alignments of the planets, and then when you get to uh, uh, the sun and the moon, that's the most stable. So the most stable, and then the other planets are you know or luminaries, whatever people. I always get in trouble for planets, right? Um, they uh, uh, become less and less stable all the way down to to lead which then lead's a really weird one because then lead becomes really stable again um and actually will soak in energy uh so lead's a really weird one but uh if you go above the sun and and actually this gets left out of a lot of chemistry charts too because then when they start chemically breaking down the metals they list them in their in their breakdown form and there's a little uh, a little riddle that you can memorize to remember the order that they break down in 
and gold is always is what they put as last in the riddle but platinum is actually more stable than gold um platinum's the highest of those and so you're looking at something that is even more stable and then when you're looking in the battery sense the again these poles that are set the anode and the cathode the cathode needs to be more stable than the anode and again i i i'm i'm definitely putting out that even though what we're talking about right now is all very northern tradition all very polaris and everybody's trying to go to that direction and i agree a hundred percent but there's also a flip side there's also the lodestone to that so there's still going to be that duality to it you know what i mean yeah for sure no that makes sense there has to be right yeah exactly it didn't start out like even in the story of creation and, and heathen it's Muspelheim and Niflheim and those two together is where where things happen and when we go one direction things become too etheric for us too fiery when we go the other direction they become too dense and you're talking about the unmoving things and that's like uh in uh Tolkien's uh, uh stories where you got the ants you know where it takes them like a, a thousand years just to have a conversation, you know, because they're moving so dense and slowly. It's something that we can't even like. Maybe it said something, and we we stopped halfway or a quarter of the way through the word. Like it's like hello, and we at heh, we were like ah, I'm out of here, and started going and doing something else, you know. <laughs> and this is uh, right, you know. Um, so we've got that entire density that's that is represented in a lot of those things but for some reason people just start losing order of it and the macroverse microverse is one of the hardest things when i'm talking even when i'm giving talks to try and explain is the macroverse microverse because like when you're looking at creation from my perspective um you start create the idea of creation starts here at your uh, uh, crown and then it splits down into uh, your cerebrum and cerebellum which is going to be your sun and the moon and so this is going to be like your etheric or your celestial side and then things also go down into your root side so the true uh, power uh, polarity is coming between that crown and the dead root and the rest of this is all derivative in between, you know, in, including the cerebrum cerebellum. Well, and while we think that that in the pineal and all that or the, the cat's ass, all of that's derivative from up here, which also is only lodestoned by down here. That's why it has to descend. The energy has to descend like that. There's already that polarity. This lodestone is pulling this energy, and it's it's becoming more and more material uh, as it descends. Or like when you're looking at it from a religious standpoint, it becomes more dirty. It becomes you know more evil and bad and dirty and the goat side, you know. And and everything has to become more material in order to have an existence. And then it goes back up in this cycle. 
Um, but okay, again, yeah. that's so. Um, is the lodestone symbolically um, magnetic at all, or or, mm-hmm. or uh, an, a northern symbol? See, and and that's also hard to really suss out because then when you start getting into the symbology. Uh, the experts that put a lot of that information out also then just try and claim it or twist it. So like uh, Stephen Flowers is one of the biggest uh, ones. They also, uh, Edric Thorson is his other name. Um, right. So if you're looking at any kind of rune work, uh, he's the biggest source by far. He's the Galdebrock. He, he did the Galdebrock. Um, so it's guys like that that really are heavily into that. And it's really hard to su- start sorting through that and sussing it out. Um, now, you got to imagine that they understood that, uh, especially with their abilities to navigate and things like that. Um, they obviously had to understand some to some degree. Um, but again, and this was again an oral tradition. And it really wasn't written down until uh, Christianity was mixed in, was mixed in. Most your most known authors, even of the original source material, are were Christian. Um, so, right, real right. hard. Okay, to sure. No, that makes sense um, because I recall reading that the lodestone um, symbolically existed at the north was magnetic. And is the reason yes. why our compasses point in that direction, essentially, from what I recall. See, exactly, exactly. But can you go back to source material and prove it? That's, oh, that's yeah. awful, awful tough deal. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I, I believe that same thing and I, and I will definitely represent that. But uh, can I go back? And that's the thing that I'm really... Uh, working on and part of why Rachel and I are going through all the original source material, which isn't to say that you shouldn't get things out of that and make these speculations and these correlations and start having a greater understanding. You should. Um, but definitely if I, if it's not in the source material, I can't claim it. Right. Um, and say it's just dead on in there. Uh, cause there's some other things in there that I work on that, uh, like from my perspective, Perspective, then the uh, the lodestone is going to be the the uh, Mjolnir. Like everybody, like one wears the Thor's hammer. But from my perspective, then there's also uh, Ermansil, and most people don't uh, know anything, or at least in America, have any idea of what about Ermansil. And uh, from my perspective, which is Odin Street, and that is where the Mjolnir is down and under um, Ermansil is up and it looks more similar to a cross. And from my perspective, the two things, the, the Mjolnir would be more of the lodestone and the two things are supposed to meet together. Cause then it's a line in a line, the way they go together on the break, I'll draw it and put a picture of a picture of uh, what I'm talking about and hang it up. Um, but the two things are meant to go together and overlay 
and where the trunk is, that's where we live. We live in that middle ground. And even uh, when you look at that, like the, the, uh, there's the normal cross, but then there's the cross with the extra ones underneath, including the extended one, which would be Midgard. Uh, this is more where those two meet and where the, the handle of the mule near sticks up, there's a spot where it goes out. And in my opinion, that's Midgard and the bottom is going to be your lodestone and the top is going to be your, uh, uh, your fireside. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, the world tree concept, honestly, for me is one of the things that I want to do more work with. Um, because I feel like there's a lot of people where it, it's, it's such a holistic symbol. Um, there's so much to, to think about and consider and, and research you can do. Um, it's one of these things where I, I kind of have a feeling that, I mean, I could see it coming back into, um, people's awareness in like a significant, serious sort of way, you know what I mean? And so the, the more I think about it, the more I hear others reference it and everything else, it's just one of those things where I, I'm, I'm starting to revere it myself and, and, uh, really understand and kind of, um, and kind of embody it in my own way because I feel as though you know it's just like we are also symbolic of that tree, right? The the microcosm, microcosm sort of thing. As above, so below. You bet, you betcha. Right. And right. You know, as we start to move toward that, um, nope. Let's uh, but uh, let's go ahead and further that uh, in the second hour. We're gonna go ahead and cut it for the first hour and say goodbye to all the uh, YouTubers. And in the second hour, we can get into more of that conspiratorial side. And because uh, I definitely don't believe that it just happened, that they're hiding the northern symbols. Just uh, it's just, uh, you know, that, that I don't believe that that was uh, unintentional. So we can get into more of those type of things over on the uh, Rockfin side. So everybody, please come on over to Rockfin for the second hour. Uh, Rockfin's free to come over and listen. Uh, you just click on the Rockfin link, and just like YouTube, you can watch the whole show for free. If you want to come in and leave some comments, uh, you have to sign up. And uh, just like with YouTube, you just sign up and have an account. That doesn't cost anything. If you want to pay the $9.99 a month uh, to get all the premium content, and if you sign up for that, you get everybody's premium content. And if you do it under my name, I absolutely appreciate it. I definitely love you guys that are uh, uh, my monthly subscribers. I do have no idea how much that helps, and I appreciate it. Um, but uh, you get then access to all the channels. So with that, we're going to go ahead and cut out from YouTube and switch on over. Bye, guys. See ya.